Hi there. This is Sam Musgrave, pastor over college and young adult ministry at Trinity Community Church. This podcast is a collection of the sermons from our gatherings. My prayer is that you will grow in knowledge and love for King Jesus, or maybe come to faith in him for the very first time. Join me now for this sermon. All right, good evening. It's good to see you guys here. You ready for 1 Corinthians 13? 1 Corinthians 13 is where we're going to be, verses 8 to the end of the chapter. 1 Corinthians 13, 8 to 13. I will, for as long as my, I live, never, ever, ever forget it. When I was a child, about six or seven years old, the Musgraves were close friends with the Simons family. Jordan and I were best friends pretty much from day one of kindergarten. Jake was best friends with his younger brother, Jeremy. We just so happened to be the exact same age. Our dads and moms were, by all appearances, the best of friends. One time, we drove by their house on the way to some event. I forget exactly what it was. We were all going to attend it together. And I had this toy that I was sincerely excited to show Jordan so that we could play together with it. At the time, we were obsessed with the classic award-winning film, Three Ninjas. I don't know if you guys know this early 90s, I think it's early 90s, cinematography. It's pristine. If you haven't seen it, it features three young boys, Rocky, Colt, and Tum Tum, who are taught the ways of karate by their grandpa. So, everything that we did was some variation of martial arts, and usually dinosaurs snuck in there as well because we were equally obsessed with Jurassic Park, an obsession that survives until this very day. Anyway, I remember my joy like it was yesterday. The killer karate dinosaurs were going to be extra epic this day because I had this brand new toy I get to share with my friend. When we drove up, Jordan was already there in his front yard. It is burned in my memory. I remember it to a T. And unable to wait until we had parked, I began waving and showing Jordan my toy. I was excited for us to enjoy it together. Authentically, I remember, I wanted to enjoy it with him. And in hindsight, I now understand that Jordan had mistaken my enthusiasm for some kind of one-upmanship, that I was teasing him with this toy. His face darkened. And with the sinister expression that can only be found among depraved children, Jordan pulled 
a bubblegum cigarette out of his pocket. And he began to skip around the yard, taking drags like he was James Dean. Convinced that he had just not seen my toy. I waved at Adam. And Jordan waved back, so smug, with his little powder puff cigarette, prancing like Pinocchio en route to Pleasure Island. My perplexity in that moment, I, w- I, w- I remember my little brain, I was perplexed at why he was acting this way. And my perplexity quickly burned into passion. I was mad at him. Then my anger flashed to envy. I wanted that cigarette more than anything in the world. The way he just frolicked about with it, it was the most coveted object in my life. Do you want to know the most amazing thing of all? I cannot remember for the life of me the toy that I had in my hand. I have no clue what it was. I remember being thrilled about it. And all I remember from that day is that little bubble gum cigarette. It's fascinating. I cannot remember the one reason that I was so excited. But that pink puff is burned into my memory. I'm going to go to my grave remembering that cigarette. Now, this exchange between friends reveals gifts are worthless without love. Love which is always patient, kind, never jealous, never braggy, never puffed up. He was extra puffed up that day. Preoccupation with gifts, preoccupation with spiritual gifts is childish. That is Paul's point tonight. Three points. The first one may offend some of you. I'm going to explain. Love is cessationist. You might not like to hear that. We'll explain that here in a bit. I'm being a little bit cheeky on purpose. Love is cessationist. That's verses 8 to 10. Love is not childish. That's verses 11 to 12. And love is greatest. Verse 13. So I'm being a little bit ornery. That's how you're supposed to pronounce it. Not ornery, but ornery. However, I promise you, I say the first point, love is cessationist. I say that on purpose. And I say that as a statement that all our Christian brothers and sisters can agree upon. Okay? Now, you might not have a clue what I'm saying when I say cessationist. 
or continuationist or charismatic or whatever. That's okay. But if you do understand what I'm talking about, all of us agree that love is cessationist. Paul explicitly says here, the gifts will all in fact cease. That they will stop. So whether you're cessationist or whether you're a continuationist, whether you believe that the miracle gifts stopped with the apostles or whether you believe that they continued throughout church history, you all agree, whether you realize it or not, that the Bible does clearly teach the gifts will stop. They will cease at some point in Paul's future as he's writing this letter. It's just a matter of when you think they're going to stop. Continuationists think that they'll stop in some time in the future. I don't know how many continuationists know that. Cessationists believe that the miraculous gift, the demonstrative gifts, the sign gifts stopped with the apostles. Now, I personally believe that God still performs miracles, but no longer uses specific individuals for the signs, for the sign gifts. Why not? Well, I'll give you my reasons. I just want to be forthright about my position. Hope you can appreciate my honesty. First of all, God concentrates miracles in scripture. You see the the scriptural record. God concentrates miracles at certain points in history to prove that he is speaking revelation. Listen up. God speaking miracles attest to that. Now you have very clear examples of this. You think of Moses when the old Testament, the old covenant is being given. Miracles explode with the Israelites coming out of Egypt. Exodus 4. And then, new covenant, Jesus and his apostles, Acts 4, miracles surround the giving of the new covenant, the compiling of the New Testament. Now, in both cases... God is specifically providing Israel with signs or proof that Yahweh is speaking. You can look at John 2 for that. Listen to Paul. 1 Corinthians 14.22. Once you turn the page over or whatever, uh, the next chapter, 14.22, read with me the end of verse 22 where Paul says, Tongues, the gift of tongues, are for a sign, a sign, not to believers, but to unbelievers. Listen up, unbelievers, Yahweh speaking, believe him, trust him, obey him. The gift of tongues is not for believers to be doing in church. The gift of tongues was a sign to unbelievers that God is speaking. Now, earlier in chapter 14, verses 1 to 3, he says that tongues do not edify the church. They do not help believers. So if you've got friends, or perhaps you've come from a past where that's practiced a lot, it's helping no one. 
on the authority of God's word, it's not helping anyone. That's not to ostracize anyone. We're all in progress. We're all growing up. We're all learning. My parents sent me to a camp with another friend of mine. His name was Vance. When I was like eight years old, and they did slaying in the spirit and tongues and all sorts of things, it petrified me. I had never observed such behavior in my life. It was horrifying. I hated my parents for years for letting me go to that place. Now, you might think Sam's got a predisposition against charismatic behavior because of that traumatic experience. Well, there's a really sweet man. I still remember his name. His name was Howie. And he, he was very comforting and, and helpful. And, and it ended up being um, a positive time relationally with some sweet people. But the, the, the gifts, the sign gifts, are particularly for unbelieving Jews in the diaspora scattered across the Mediterranean, just like God foretold through Isaiah the prophet, chapter 28, verse 11. Indeed, he, God, will speak to this people, Israel, through stammering lips and a foreign tongue. God's revelation has always gone to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. Now, really quickly, a little bit of Bible trivia, and I want some interaction here. How many of the apostles were Jewish on the day of Pentecost? Give me a percentage. It's an easy one. Good. A hundred percent of them were Jewish. What percentage of the listeners were Jewish? By all accounts, we're given 100%. They're from, they've been scattered abroad. They've been scattered throughout the Mediterranean, but they're home in Jerusalem for Passover, for Pentecost, which are near close to one another, 50 days apart, and they're all Jewish there. The converts on that day, 3,000 Jews. The church is 100% Jewish at its inception in Acts 2. Now, how many original apostles were Gentile specific? Original apostles. Zero. Not a single one of them. Jesus, years later, the ascended Jesus, calls Saul, another Jew, a Pharisee, to be his apostle, his one apostle to the Gentiles. Okay? I want you to just get the, the feel of what God's doing here. Okay? Even Paul says, he's the apostle of the Gentiles. Even Paul says, I go to the Jews first. And when they kick me out of the synagogue, then I preach to the Gentiles. He's the, he's the apostle to the Gentiles. And he says, yeah, I always go to the Jews first. When they kick me out, I start preaching to Gentiles. But it's only to make the Jews jealous. Doesn't sound like a great apostle to the Gentiles, does he? And they're just believing and coming in droves. Okay, where's Sam getting here? The end of the apostles is an end of an era, period. That is absolutely true. There were only those apostles. The apostles do not pass down succession. You had to have walked with Jesus. You had to have seen Jesus. You had to have seen the resurrected Jesus. You can read about that in the early chapters of Acts. You had to be there. Now, we can actually watch 
the sign gifts vanish over time as the epistles are being written in the New Testament. First Corinthians is extremely early. Only Galatians and Thessalonians were written before Corinthians. So it's really early on this letter that we're reading. Paul will not even mention any sign gifts when he writes about spiritual gifts later to the Ephesians and the Romans. Why not? It's very interesting. Furthermore, the early church fathers who immediately follow the apostles as they die in those early centuries, people like uh, Chris, Chrysostom and, and uh, Justin Martyr and Origen and Augustine, they all believed that tongues and everything existed only in the days of the apostles. And they lived right after the apostles. Scripture records a massive drop-off in miraculous healings after the ministry of Jesus. For example, Paul's our author. Let's look at the life of Paul himself. Early, he's going to resurrect Eutychus, a young man that fell asleep, fell out a window, I don't know, landed on his head and died. Okay, Paul, God, resurrects him through Paul. But, you go on, he doesn't help. Epaphroditus in Philippians. He doesn't heal Timothy in 1 Timothy. He doesn't heal Trophimus in 2 Timothy. He doesn't even heal himself in 2 Corinthians. What's going on? Why not? Sign gifts were never intended to just heal Christians of all their problems. Ever. Sign gifts were to signal that revelation was being given and that the men speaking this revelation were in fact apostles sent from Christ. Listen up. That's the point of the sign gifts. Listen up. They're speaking for God. Shortly after Paul is executed, Paul's beheaded, Shortly after, the letter to the Hebrews is written, and it is already speaking of sign gifts in the past tense. Watch this. Hebrews 2, verses 3 and 4. How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Have you ever heard that verse before? It's a, it's a very popular verse. Just to show this isn't some obscure text. That salvation first spoken by the Lord, was confirmed to us. What tense is that? Past tense. By those who heard, the apostles, God also testifying with them at that time, both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit. Interesting. That is why Paul says the gifts will cease before he dies. Well, he said that before he dies. Now, what will not cease for all eternity? What will not stop? Love. Love is cessationist. Love is cessationist. Everything else will stop. Love will not stop. Spiritual gifts will stop. Don't make a big deal about them. They will stop. Love will not. Verses 8 to 10. Love 
never fails. It never ends, as Luke said. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. Now, really quickly, what will never fail? Love, thank you. Okay, you're listening. What will clearly stop? We can all agree. Gifts will stop. They will be the languages shut down, stopped, ended, annihilated, obliterated. Oof. Paul could not be more graphic. Now, Let's focus on the less clear verses 9 and 10. Beginning Greek students can translate this verse. It says this. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know ek merus. It's Greek. Ek merus. And we prophesy ek Merus. The Greek preposition ek means from or out of. We know from partial. We prophesy from partial. What's the question? From partial what exactly? That's the question. You look in the context, what is it? From partial knowledge. From partial knowledge. Now, read 12. Let scripture interpret scripture. Verse 12. Now, right now, I know in part. Then, when the perfect comes, I will know fully. Verse 13. But when the perfect comes, the partial knowledge by which we prophesied will be done. That's the idea. Okay? So it's the knowledge itself that's partial. What will remain until we finally reach perfection? Not prophecy, not tongues, imperfect knowledge. We're only going to know some. Until perfection. He's not saying that prophecy is going to continue. He's not saying that tongues are going to continue until the perfect comes. Our imperfect knowledge is what's going to continue until the perfect comes. Verse 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly. Enigmatically is the Greek word. But then... We will see face to face. Now I know in part, and then I will know fully. What, Paul? This is what Paul's saying. Paul foresees a day when the church will view the gift of prophecy and the gift of tongues as the days of the church's infancy, its childhood. The church was founded upon the foundation of miraculous, uh, this miraculous age with its apostles and prophets, but it will be built upon that foundation constructed gradually by 
the gospel expounded through evangelists and doctrine exposited by teaching shepherds. The foundations once for all. You don't keep building the foundation. You lay the foundation, it sets, and then you gradually build the building on top of that. Listen to Ephesians 4. It's very clear. Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. Christ himself gave some as apostles and some as prophets and then some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. Do you, do you notice the gradual progression? Apostles, then prophets, then evangelists, and then they pass the baton on to pastors and teachers. For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until, here's the goal. This is what all the gifts are doing. This is what all those offices are doing. They build up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the full knowledge of the Son of God so that we are no longer to be what? Children. Childish. As the church once was. We are truthing in love, Paul says. That is what we do through the gifts. If I'm gifted with mercy, I'm truthing in love. If I'm gifted with leadership, I'm truthing in love. If I'm gifted with encouragement, I'm truthing in love. With preaching, I'm truthing in love. With teaching, I'm truthing in love. With giving, I'm truthing in love. That's what all of us are doing. Until what? Until we build one another up in, what's that big L word? Oh, come on. Love. Amor. Love. This is the big idea. The Corinthians, in other words, Paul's point is this, folks. The Corinthians are not who we should imitate. And it's a reckless tragedy that entire denominations are built upon the practices of the Corinthians. That's not what we're to imitate. They were getting it all wrong. Paul said to them in chapter 3, you are still fleshly. I should be feeding you meat. You're still nursing milk. Grow up. Stop acting like babies with your goo-goos and your gagas. That's not the way you are to live. That was a tongues joke, by the way. I don't know if we caught that. Now, how do I help immaturity? I know, it's in poor taste. How do I help immaturity? We're going to always have immature believers in the church. Guess who's an immature believer in the church? Me, you. We've got immaturity. We need to mature. We need to grow. What does unfailing love say? What does love that never fails say? How does love that never fails treat people who are less mature in knowledge, who like the Corinthians don't know and need to know? Well, our final two points are far more brief than our first. Number one, love is not childish. We help people not be childish. Chapter 11 verses, I'm sorry, chapter 13 verses 11 to 12. When I was a child... I used to speak like a child. Notice Paul's saying, Corinthians, you're talking like kids. It's not cute. This, this jabberjohn stuff that you're doing, it resembles paganism, not the Holy Spirit. 
I used to speak like a child. I used to think like a child. Children treat one another like me and Jordan did. We were jealous of one another's gifts. We were provoking one another to envy. What started out with good motivations that day, I honestly can stand before God and say that that little boy, Sam Musgrave, wanted to share that toy with his friend. But as soon as he saw his friend showing off his toy, oh, it was war. I used to speak like a child. I used to think like a child. I used to reason like a child, which really isn't reasoning at all. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. What has he just said will be done away with? The gift of prophecy, the gift of tongues. I did away with that stuff. For now we see in a mirror dimly. Now we understand God dimly. Now we have a photograph of God. But soon we're going to see him in real life. Face to face. Now I know in part. That's what all the gifts are intended to do. You guys are treating the gift of prophecy and the gift of tongues at showboating. You're main staging. You're acting like this is an opportunity for you to draw attention to yourself. No, these are about us knowing God. These are about us seeing God. What are you doing with these gifts? You're abusing his gifts. These are about showcasing who God is. And you're using it to showcase who you are. Now I know in part, but then I know fully, just as I also have been fully known. Where does he land? God loves me. God loves us, you guys. God has fully loved us. That's why we love him. That's why we know him. He knows us inside and out. And so unfailing love relates to people. You want to know one of the quickest ways you can recognize lack of love in your heart for one another. You don't relate to people. Some really immature Christian crosses your path and you go, poof, poof. Wow, glad I'm not like that guy. Glad I'm not like her. Glad I'm so grown up. No, unfailing Christian love says, I totally get what that's like. I totally remember that. How do you treat people who are less knowledgeable than you? How do you treat Christians who are less knowledgeable than you? Do you suffer from the curse of knowledge? Have you ever heard of this, the curse of knowledge? It's an actual thing, uh, scientific, okay? The curse of knowledge is the tendency we have to immediately forget what it's like to not know something we've just learned. They performed these experiments, very creative in fact. They had someone, they had, they had a list of songs here, and they gave someone like a pen to tap on the desk. Then they brought someone else to sit in front of them who had no idea what songs were written on the sheet of paper here. And the person got the song, Happy Birthday. And they would tap, And the person sitting across from them was like, I have no idea what you're tapping. They're saying, how, how do you not hear this? They do it again. Yeah, I can't figure out what song that is. Then they had Star Spangled Banner. Tap Star Spangled Banner. I, 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 don't, know, I don't know what song that is. How can, you, how can you not know? Then they had some other song. I can't remember. Jingle Bells or something like that. 
what we would think are iconic, simple songs. People don't know. As soon as the person with the pencil learned what song, they immediately forgot what it's like to not know that song. They have no idea what it's like to be that person just hearing taps. You see, we suffer from the curse of knowledge. It puffs us up with pride. That's why, that's why Paul said knowledge, if it's not motivated by love, it just puffs us up. It just inflates us. Love builds up, builds them up. Love goes, I know exactly what it's like. I remember, I'm going to force myself to remember what it's like. I try to do that all the time, guys. I try to think when I'm preparing to teach you guys, I try to remember back when I didn't know anything. And I think, how in the world have you taught me this much over the years, Lord? Thank you. Thank you. And I, I, I want them to come along. I want them to come. Grow up. Build up. Boy, I wish I obeyed more of what I know. Now, Paul says, I was just like you. None of us have arrived. That's all love talks. None of us is. Why don't we help each other arrive? That being said, what do we think of a grown man who lives as a five-year-old? Do you admire grown men that live like five-year-olds? No. We would say, have you lost your mind? The Corinthians are in a state of ignorance. Pride, immaturity, carnality. That's where they're at. What matters is how they respond to this letter. Now here's the tough thing, friends. You've chosen to come to a young adult's ministry that just doesn't shy away from preaching the Bible. That's it. That's, that's our life. You've heard this. What you do with it now determines whether you're a grown person acting like a five-year-old or whether you are, in fact, a work of progress saying, all right, I've been taught otherwise. Thus saith the Lord, we need to grow up. The point is this. The age of the gifts is momentary. It's a placeholder until Jesus comes. His return marks the death of spiritual gifts because we are going to have love himself in person. Now he's in heaven. He's our invisible head. He's invisible to us. He's not invisible, but he's invisible to us. He's our head in heaven. We're his body on earth, and we, we manifest the spirit of Christ as we love one another by the gifts that he's given. But when he comes, pff, gifts go out the window. There's no more need. We've got him. Last point, love is greatest. But now, now, right now, today, now, abide. That is remain. It's the verb meno. It, it, this is what's surviving. This is what never stops. Is it gifts? Is it signs? Is it miracles? No. What is it? Faith. Hope. Love. These three. Can you imagine being the Corinthians hearing this? Oof. 
We've been making a big deal about who's got the gift of prophecy, who's got the gift of tongues, who's got this, who's got that, healings, miracles, yada, yada, yada. Paul says, banish that. Faith. Who, step four, who's got faith? Who's got hope? Who's got love? That's who I want leading this church, not the showboats. These three. Now, what is faith? Hebrews 11. Faith is the assurance. The assurance. The the certainty of things hoped for. There's a blend of them. Can't you hear already? Faith, hope, love. Faith is being certain of the things hoped for. It's the conviction, the, the firm belief, the resolution that things not seen are true and real. That what God has said is actual. That what God has promised of the future will come to pass. Faith is belief. It's the same word in Greek. Pistis. I know it's a funny word in in English, but that's the word in Greek. Pistis. Faith. Belief. Believing what God has said is true. Faith is certain of God's promises and his warnings, and therefore faith obeys. You can't have faith that doesn't obey. Faith is, by definition, a definition obedient. What's hope? 1 Peter 1, Titus 2, says that our happy hope, they both use that language, our happy hope is the return of the king and all that he brings with him. Our happy hope. We were born again to a lively hope, a blessed hope, a happy hope. Hope is what faith does with the future. You got faith, hope, and love. Hope is what faith does with the future. But the greatest of these is what? Quiet tonight. The greatest of these, thank you, is love. What is love? Love is how faith, how belief of God treats God's people. Faith, love, excuse me. Love is how faith treats God's people. For, Galatians 5, 6, in Christ Jesus, there's neither Jew nor Gentile. That means nothing. Here's what means everything. Faith working through love. Love is what faith in God does to people. Faith loves. Faith loves Christ and his bride. There is, closing thought, there is right now a most loving soul. I was going to say on the planet. Here's the fact. There is a most loving soul in this room. Quantifiably, in God's mind, not ours, there is a most actually loving soul in this room. Who is it? Don't raise your hand. It's the person who most believes faith, most believes God's word, and most hopes in the future that he's promised because they're going to be generous. They're going to say, take whatever you want. 
I'm going to reign with Christ. He said this. Hey, I trust him. My flesh wants to do this. My flesh has all the feelings that everyone else's flesh has. But God has spoken. And I trust him. And he's promised. And I believe him. And he's warned. And I obey him. You see how faith, hope, and love are kind of this trinity within the soul. They're inseparable. They're related. And how can I identify them? They're patient. They're kind. They're not jealous. They don't brag. They're not puffed up. They don't act unbecomingly. They do not seek their own way. They're not provoked or irritated. They do not take into account a wrong suffered. They don't hold grudges. They do not rejoice in unrighteousness. They don't laugh at sin, but they rejoice with the truth. They bear everything. They believe the best about everyone. They hope the best about everyone. And they endure all the mistreatment that they get in the meantime. They, excuse me, they never fail. May it be said of us. Father, we ask that you would mark us by the love of Christ. And now as we break off into our small groups, we ask, oh Lord, that you would bless us with working out faith in love. We thank you, Lord, that you've saved us and brought us in Christ together to enjoy your love together. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining me for this sermon from the Trinity College and Young Adult Ministry. We would love for you to join us in person soon. For up-to-date information, follow our Instagram at trinityc.ya. For information regarding Trinity Community Church, visit trinitycc.com. And if you're interested in a great Bible college here in the area, check out calchristiancollege.edu. Until he returns, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. Thank you.